All right, well, last Sunday we started a new series on grace. I'd love to recap it more than I have time for this morning. But briefly, I just want to say that um, we started this series in an odd place. We, we talked about grace through the lens of the flood. Um, but we did that for a reason, because the word grace shows up for the very first time in the Scripture talking about the grace and favor that was on the life of Noah in the midst of um, the massive darkness uh, depravity, fill any other dark D words in there, destruction that was happening on this planet. People were destroying themselves and were lost to sin and it was having devastating consequences among them. In the midst of God's broken heart over that sin, the scripture clearly tells us he was grieved that he'd made man. His heart was broken over what he saw and also the, the coming judgment, he was going to start fresh. In the midst of that is when God first tells us about his grace that is available to rescue and save us. And so we unpacked three basic things last week through, through the story of the flood that was coming. We looked at Genesis chapter 6, and we noticed that God was present. Grace, grace is present, like in the here and in the now. In the midst of that darkness, God's grace was on Noah's life. And the scripture says that God walked with Noah. And so God was very present in Noah's life in the midst of the coming flood. Grace speaks truth. God warned him. There was patience. God gave the whole world like 120 years to prepare, to get ready. There was a warning that was given. And so grace warns. It's patient. Grace helps us prepare. God gave real practical instructions that would help rescue Noah through the flood. It's grace that carries and sustains us in the midst of the flood. And, you know, we talked about there are different floods in life. There's the ultimate judgment that comes from a life of sin that destroys us. But there are floods throughout our life that show up. Floods that we help create with our own brokenness and sin. And then we deal with the consequences of that. Floods that come at us that are no fault of our own. They're just the result of living in a broken world. And it's inevitable that we face them. But grace speaks truth and tells us that we can be planted on the rock. Our life can be built on the rock when we listen to the truth that grace speaks. And then finally, we talked about how grace empowers us, and we'll be unpacking that more as the weeks go along, but how grace empowers us to do the things God's called us to do. See, there was participation involved on Noah's part. The ark didn't build itself. It didn't beam down from heaven. God gave him instructions, and Noah, by faith, believed that grace was available, and by faith, he participated in it. And so he did some things God laid out for him to do, and he was rescued and saved in the midst of that. His, the, God's grace empowered him to see what needed to be done and gave him the ability to do it. And we're going to unpack that a lot more next week. So that's where we started. Um, this is all based in Ephesians chapter 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how grace works in our life. It's the grace of God not a work of our own that rescues and saves and redeems us. And we have access to that by taking him at his word and saying, God, I want to participate in what you want to do in my life. And so yes to you. So that's where we started. Uh, this morning, if, to give a frame of reference, uh, last week was kind of pre-flood. It was chapter six, the flood's coming. This morning is during the flood. And then next week, we're going to look at what happens after the flood. Now, the truth is I'm only actually going to read one verse 
one verse this morning from the story of Noah. But there's, there's something powerful that is taking place when the flood is happening. And we've got to understand it in order to un- understand God's grace that's available in our lives and how we can receive his grace into our lives. So I want to start by telling you a story. Uh, it's always dangerous whenever I've got story time, but I've got a story. So several years ago, I believe it was in the fall of, I think, 2014. Several years ago, um, my wife looked at me after months of probably me being a huge mess and was like, you need to get away for the weekend. And so I'm not sure if the gift was for me or for her and the kids, um, but she sent me away on a surprise weekend. She had arranged it um, with, with uh, the couple people that were over me at Grace Chapel with the executive pastor there and the senior pastor there and arranged to send me away. And so I show up after work on a Thursday afternoon and my bags are packed and she says, here's where you're going. And I went to some little place in Jamestown, I think is the name of it, Tennessee. It's kind of up near the border of Kentucky. And there was this little private lake and I was near a state park and she just had a little cabin for me for the weekend. It was a really cool gift. And the planner in me was like really annoyed that I didn't get the chance to like do any of the planning and my bags were packed and everything. I was like, let me do something. But she had it all set up. So I could tell stories about the whole weekend. But when I got there, one of the first things I realized is there was this cool dock with a kayak available for me to go out and just explore this cool little private lake. And so it was like the first thing I wanted to do. So I mean, I barely just like threw my stuff inside the cabin. I got my, my big bag of sunflower seeds. Man, in the, in the spring and in the fall, I can be a little bit of a sunflower seeds addict. Um, and so I got my big bag of sunflower seeds, got like a Mountain Dew or something, I think. And um, I had this really fancy device to keep my phone from getting wet. It's called a Ziploc bag. And I, and I had to leave a little small hole because I didn't have Bluetooth headphones. So I just had my little, you know, the headphones that come with the phone plugged in through the bag into my phone because I wanted to listen to some podcasts while I'm cruising around. So I go out there. I've got my phone in my pocket. My earbuds are in. Everything's ready. You know, I've got my, my drink. I've got uh, my sunflower seeds. And um, this was probably only the second or third time in my life I'd really been in a kayak. And this is one of the kayaks you get inside of. It's not one of the ones you sit on top of. And so I'm leaning off the dock to get into this thing. And I have a couple of like false starts. I'm getting nervous. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get in this thing without everything tipping over. So um, I set the the drink and the sunflower seeds on the edge and I I start to get in and it's wobbling, it's wobbling, but I, I think I'm in and right as I go to sit, I go to grab them and it flips on me. And I mean, sunflower seeds like spray in the air. The Mountain Dew goes flying. It's like rocking and I tip into the water and fall out. It's over my head. I'm aware that my phone's in my pocket and I'm just scrambling. This is not the start that I had in mind to my quiet, serene, peaceful day on the lake away from six kids. And it was just a disaster of a start. And so I'm like scrambling out and I'm just, I am flustered, I'm frustrated. I'm angry at the boat because clearly it's, this, it's the design of this thing. Somebody did not design this well. <laughs> then I start to have some honesty and clarity and I'm frustrated with myself because yes, it's user error, I know. Um, and I just sit there on the dock and finally I reached a point where I could kind of laugh at myself and somehow saved my phone. The earbuds were shot. Um, so what's the point of that? What's the point of that? 
I believe that part of what God's talking about through this story of the ark is that our, our lives are built on something. Our lives are built on something. I'm, I'm relying upon, I'm leaning on something to get me through this life. And I participate in the building and operation of that boat. And I think far too many of us are like I was in that position. Totally unfamiliar, unaware. I hadn't given it any thought. I didn't know how this thing operated. I had no sense of how to utilize it myself. And I got wet. I mean, I was in trouble. Things were breaking. Like, I could have been in real trouble as the water was over my head. I think a lot of us are just stumbling through life trying to balance our way on whatever raft we can construct. And man, when the wind and waves come, we're in trouble. And, and I believe that very specifically, this is an issue for us as the church. I, I don't know how much time we've genuinely spent considering what, what is the actual gospel that I believe. And is, is my life rooted in that gospel? And can I safely navigate the waters of this life because I, I've so considered the gospel of Jesus Christ that it, it works. The utility of it works. The boat is secure. It's not leaking. It's not dumping me out. I know how to navigate. See, if the gospel of Jesus is real and powerful and available in my life, it should answer all the questions. God's grace should see me through the ultimate question. God, what is my place and sense in this world and in eternity in your world? And where do I stand with you? But also, God, how does that fit my day-to-day -day life as I'm confronting the real struggles and pains and difficulties and my own problems and issues? God, how does this fit? And so I'm going to give you an example of some common gospels that at best are incomplete and at worst false. And these are just a couple of examples. But really what I, I want to encourage us to do more than anything this morning, I, I, I want to encourage you to take this home with you this week. Consider and wrestle with the gospel that you believe. And does it fit the full narrative of this world and this life that you're living? On some level, that's, that's a discovery. That's a journey we're going to be on with the Lord for a long time. But I believe he, he doesn't want it to be a huge mystery to us. He wants us to be able to rest and be secure in the goodness of his grace to see us through all the seasons of this life and to share that grace with others and to be able to rest in that reality for eternity. So I want to start by just throwing out some examples to you of some incomplete gospels. Um, example number one, the social justice gospel. This is a gospel that has some incredible heart behind it. It's a gospel to meet the practical needs of people who are in trouble. This is a gospel that reaches out to the lost, to the neglected, to the poor. It says, what are we doing about this? It seeks to address issues like education and alcoholism and drugs and crime. And like, how do we meet these practical needs of people? What do we do about the person that's in another country that's in total poverty? What do I do about the person in my own backyard? Am I living with a blind eye to that? It's a gospel rooted in a lot of the heart of what Jesus said and did and was about. However, 
There is a real issue within the midst of meeting those practical needs. There are carriers of the gospel who are leaving out the power and the need for sin to be dealt with and for the power of Jesus to regenerate, to make people new, that the the ultimate answers are rooted in the hope of Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, who pays the penalty for sin, who can set me free from sin, and then a redeemed life can be helped and educated and my practical needs can be met. We, we leave pieces out. That's a real thing that's happening. And in order to inspire people to participate in that, we've watered down some of the reality of the gospel of Jesus to just meet those needs instead of painting a full picture. A full picture. Now, if you find yourself you know, nodding in agreement on that one and yeah, I've seen that same issue, hold on. We might offend you next. There's another issue that is massively rooted in our Christian evangelism of the day. And it's it's rooted in a misunderstanding of salvation where we boil it down to this. It's, it's, It's one moment in time. It's a transaction. It's a transactional gospel. This thing happens. I exchange this for this. End of the story. Now, it's rooted in some very true realities about Jesus. If I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth, I'm what? I'm saved. There there is a moment in time that comes in my life where I have a realization of who Jesus is and my desperate need to be saved. And I am forgiven of my sin. I repent. I turn to him. There absolutely is an exchange. I lay down my life for his. But if we stop there as if that's the total package of the gospel, we're leaving people with no sense of guidance or direction for the rest of their life. You know, A.W. Tozer had something hard to say about this. He said, if you won't have Jesus as your Lord, he won't be your Savior. That's That's a hard sentence. But if the gospel is real, see, if I've done business with what the gospel is really all about, I'll understand that's not a judgmental thing, and it's not a works based earn my way, it's a freedom. God's saying, I want to break you free of the power and influence of sin in your life going forward. And so you can enjoy a life of more and more healing and freedom. You can see the the bondage of sin get broken off of your life. And you can enjoy a grace-filled life. This is why discipleship is so important. Did Jesus say, go into all the world and tell them they need to make a one-time decision for me? He did say bring them to a point of decision, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said something else. Teaching them to observe all I have told you. Part of the gospel is being in an ongoing relationship with this God who loves and saves us. And we learn that through the discipleship process. And so the problem with the transactional gospel is we overemphasize the transaction and it doesn't translate into a transformed life. But God wants to change our lives. I mean, there's a reason I came to Jesus. My life was a mess and I wanted it to be different. Not to have a moment where my guilt's dealt with and then I go live that same life. A changed life, being made new and regenerated by Jesus.
And then finally, and you know, maybe this, this fits partially with the transactional gospel, but the third one, I mean, this would almost be at the polar opposite of the social justice gospel. In fact, I think it's part of why the social justice thing has risen so strongly. You know, we tend to try to balance out bad teaching instead of like bringing it all in. We overreact. And the overreaction has been to consumer Christianity, where it's just all about me and what I get out of this. And so I come and I receive and I soak and I sit, I enjoy this, I maybe get some good relationships out of it, and I just am in this American consumer Christianity where it's just all about what I get and what I'm receiving. And when I'm not getting and when I'm not receiving, someone else outside of me has let me down. The cost is low and the customer satisfaction is guaranteed. You can try some of those on. The reality is God wants to invite us in to his incredible grace with a clear picture of his gospel message that will cause us to have a heart like Jesus that meets the needs of the poor and the neglected, that meets practical real needs around us locally and abroad. The gospel of Jesus will bring me to a place of decision to give him my life and find eternal life in him. And it will lead me into the kind of life where I'm being changed and transformed by the power and presence of Jesus in my life. His grace doesn't show up in a morning at a service where I come to my knees. It shows up every day in my life as I walk with him, as I'm being transformed. And I become someone who looks out at the world around me and can participate in his kingdom of grace. That's the gospel of Jesus. So how does this relate to the flood? You know, we looked at this last week. And you've got to start by dealing, facing the reality of sin and death in the direct link between the two. The direct link between the two. God looked at the condition of the world in Noah's day. And he said, as a result of sin, man's heart and mind is on evil always and they are violent. There was already death and destruction and violence going on. People's lives were being destroyed by the power of sin. And through that, it led God to bring about some judgment. I mentioned this in passing last week, and I want to address it a little bit more here. And I, I, think, it, I think it is massively important for us to wrestle with this issue. And this, this issue of, of judgment and death and the consequences of sin. And when I look at the story of the flood, it bothers me. It bothers me. God, I don't understand. How could you do that? How could you do that? And I, I believe on a, on a real level that this has been an issue in every generation. But I believe very specifically in the culture we live in, we have very easily and comfortably switched seats. We've switched seats. And what I mean by that is, I've forgotten who God is. And I put myself on the seat of judgment and essentially say to him, you, you need to answer to me for this. How could you do this? 
and I put myself in his place as if I have the ability to judge rightly. That's the thing. I don't know that we think about it all the way through. Do I have the capacity in and of myself to make real judgment about the condition of every soul on this planet? The condition they're in, the consequences that's wreaking in their lives and their ultimate place? I want to tell you about this, this kid. Um, probably the most broken person. I don't even know if there's a probably to it. I don't even think I need to couch it. The most broken person I've ever known personally. In, in years and years and years of doing youth ministry, um, I, I came across this young man named Tristan. And, and he was as broken of a person as I have ever been around. His dad was totally out of the picture. This kid was angry to his core. Like if you said, I love you, he wanted to spit in your face. He was filled with rage and anger. He was destructive. I can remember trying to spend time with him. I go over to his house and I mean, his, his room was just thrashed. He'd get in his garage, he, he would skateboard in his garage, and he'd look for things in the garage that he could do tricks on, but he wasn't actually trying to do a trick. He was trying to smash that thing with the skateboard, and he would hurt himself in the process and laugh at his own hurt. He was, he was broken. He was rebellious. And the, the amount of people that I was aware of in his life that just continued to pour out and pour out, to get around him every chance that we could, to communicate love, to communicate grace, to communicate that we cared, and watching him just put the walls up and reject and fight that. And I, I still don't even know what to do. Like, I could just never see, I could never see that heart get penetrated with the grace and love of God. I mean, this, this kid was a mess. Like, I can't even fully communicate it. I'll never forget the day that I got the phone call. And Jonathan and I, Jonathan is a good friend of mine back at Grace Chapel, years as a youth pastor along with me there. He's the worship pastor now. When we got the phone call that Tristan had taken his life. I watched the destructive nature of sin the sin had, that had been done to this young man and the sin that he couldn't lay down in his anger and his pride and rebellion. And I watched it destroy his life. I watched the damage he caused in the lives of others. I felt helpless in the midst of it, just trying to love this kid well. God, did I communicate your grace fully? Did I, was I there enough? Was there some way we could have done more? Just wrestling with that. I look at Tristan's life and I still don't have answers. I can't even look at that one life and figure it out. I don't know how to help him. I don't know how to change that. I don't know what the condition of his heart and soul was in his last breath. I don't know. I don't know. Yet how quick I am to, to look at God and how he wants to deal with and handle sin and how strongly he feels about it. But I've, I've seen up close the damaging effects. And, and the only thing I can say to you is that it's got to start personally. Like what if instead of questioning the judge, I let him talk to me about my life, my personal life. And see, as I was reflecting on this, knowing this was coming over the last few weeks, 
You know, my first instinct was like to hearken back to the early days when I came to Jesus. But I got to tell you, I didn't have to hearken back at all. It was like immediately when I started reflecting on my need for the grace of God, he's like, no, 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 we're not going back to 15 years ago, buddy. Let's talk about the last couple weeks. And I was immediately aware of what I'd been doing in my house the last few weeks. I'd been quick-tempered. I'd been harsh. Been easily frustrated about like not even purposeful things, accidental things. Immediately what came to mind was specific conversations with that kid, that kid, my wife. And it became really apparent to me like how desperate I am for his grace right now, today. I need it. And as I began to wrestle with that, I thought about God like, like what if I lived like the last few weeks for a lifetime? What effect does that have on my children if they grow up with a harsh, easily frustrated father? What happens in the life of my wife and in our marriage if I just accept that as status quo? What damage does that do? God, what does that do in my own heart? What kind of an angry, frustrated, bitter person will I become if this plays out over a lifetime? You know, it doesn't take long to, to take a look at your life and go, man, it would destroy. I can't imagine what my kids would have to overcome to experience a healthy life if they grew up with a dad like that. Sin destroys. Do you know how easy it would be for, for me to get up here instead and just sort of make a joke about, I've kind of been annoyed recently in my kids. <laughs> we all do it. No biggie. The first step to seeing the power of the grace of God in our lives is being real and honest about the devastating effects of sin and death. They harm and it harms and destroys people. It destroys my life. And if I'm not willing to get real about that, I can't, ex I can't experience the unbelievable, overwhelming grace of God that's available. It's a miracle Noah was saved. It's a miracle. But just enough grace shone through and he caught a glimpse of the light in the midst of, I mean, what a dark and broken world. He was surrounded by Tristan's. That was the life he saw, a world that was tearing itself apart. Sin had wreaked havoc. And God shone a light of grace in the midst of that world and said, if anybody can see this, I want to rescue you. It was preached for 120 years and Noah and his family were rescued through the flood. It's, it's this kind of honest reflection that led to the Reformation. Martin Luther, like the father of the Reformation. Do you know how it dawned upon him, the need for the grace of God? Here he is, a righteous, penitent monk. And he, he just could not, he couldn't get away from his sense of brokenness that he just, he couldn't do enough to deal with his sin. And he found himself going up these steps that people would go up and they'd stop at each step, these hard steps, and they'd get their knees down and just cry out and beg to God for mercy. And then he moved to the next step and the next step. This is, this is like a saint doing this. And he just couldn't, he couldn't come to grips with it. And suddenly, like a flash of lightning, God spoke to him the verse, the just shall live by faith. You're broken and you, you can't fix it. 
And you can't earn it and you don't deserve it, but it is available. It's available. Tim Keller put it like this. Only when we see the depth of our sin will we be electrified by the wonder of grace. Man, if we would be willing to get off the judgment seat and let the God who knows how to ask questions ask us some questions. Talk to us about who we are. Because see, that same God that sits on the judgment seat, because of the power and grace of Jesus Christ, we can now boldly go before his throne and find grace, find help in our time of need. He doesn't sit begrudgingly on the judgment seat. He longs to bring us into a life of grace. This is what James is talking about in James chapter 4. I want to read verses 6 through 10. I want to note that he's talking to believers here. He's talking to believers. In fact, believers who've been prone to wander like we were singing about earlier. He, was at, he called them two verses before this adulterous people and their walk with God. But grace, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Can you guys say more grace? Therefore it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You hear that? If I'm going to sit on the judgment seat, I can't ever break through that wall. But grace comes to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Look at this, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Exalt you. The reality is that Jesus is incredibly direct and honest about this world and how broken it really is. And the reason grace shows up in the worst possible moment in human history is because God is willing to tell us the truth about the devastating effect of sin. And then he offers grace. He offers grace. I want to I wrap things up with a little bit of a picture that is given to us in this story of Noah. And then I'm, I'm going to read a psalm and we'll wrap things up. Um, it's really interesting. I mentioned this just in passing last week. You know, we talked about the, the, the power in Scripture when things show up for the first time. And so, like, the word grace shows up for the first time here in this story. Well, another word shows up for the first time in this story, but you wouldn't recognize it. Um, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, when God is giving the direct instructions to Noah about how he's going to re be rescued through this flood, the vehicle God is going to provide through the coming flood, he says in Genesis 6, 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. You got that picture? The pitch would like seal it. No leaks would get in. No water would get in. Inside and out. That word pitch in every other place in the Old Testament is translated atonement. It's the word for atonement. It's the first time it shows up in the scripture. It gets translated as cover or atonement. Now you might be sitting there going, oh, I don't know what the word atonement means. So what's the point, Jake? I'll help you out a little bit. I had to look it up too. The word atonement, it means covered. 
It means reconciled. It means appeased, pardoned, cleansed, forgiven. It's the atoning work of Jesus that saves us. We are atoned by the blood of the Lamb. There's a whole other teaching that could be done on the Passover lamb and where this idea of covering, the covering of the blood shows up. That's, I'm not going to preach that message right now in the middle of this one. But atonement, it shows up in this passage. Now, why? Why is this the first place where this shows up? Because it doesn't matter what boat you try to fashion on your own to get you through this life. It doesn't matter how messed up or how good it is. That thing's going to spring some leaks. It's going to spring some leaks. And I think it's interesting that, you know, here's Noah. And so the, the message to the sinners out there is there's an ark. And it's been prepared. And it's ready. And it will cover you. It will see you through the flood. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. It'll cover your shame, your sin. You don't feel like you deserve it. You feel like your life's too broken and a mess. It's available. Get in the boat. But also to Noah, who built that thing, for, for those of us that can slip into some self-righteousness, like, God, I've worked really hard to participate with you and build this boat. Apart from his covering work of grace, my boat's going to spring a leak. Some of my most devastating moments is when I've found myself so reliant on my own ability and sufficiency to get through life, and I feel somehow betrayed by God when things go wrong. I'm leaning on what I've built. Noah had the best design ever, and it still needed the atoning work of grace to cover it inside and out, to seal him and see him through the flood. You know, there's an interesting thing about this ark. Number one, God shut the door. There was only one way in. And there was also a feature that wasn't a part of the ark. There was no steering wheel. And in fact, if you go back and read through the passage, God tells Noah to get in the boat and wait for seven days. And so they get in the boat and wait for seven days with no rain I mean, if you didn't feel crazy up to that point, on day six and a half at high noon, you know, I wonder where Noah was at. To experience the wonderful grace of God, if the whole message could be wrapped up in this, to experience the wonderful grace of God requires humility. God, will I trust you with my life? And see, if I approach him with that attitude of humility, my life can be a life of grace. It, 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 it takes humility to come to him in the first place and seek salvation. It requires humility to live a life that belongs to him, where he's king and I'm not. I have to practice regularly getting back off of that throne and letting him have it. But we can live a life filled with grace if we recognize this. All right, I want to I read something to you in closing. And as I'm reading this, I, I want to give you a visual picture here, okay? Um, water. The water that comes through the flood. That water absolutely has the power to destroy. But water also 
has the power to cleanse and water has the power to bring about new life. In fact, this is the very picture of water baptism. I come and identify my life with the death of Jesus and die to that old sin and junk and I'm risen into new life coming out of the water in Him. It's a picture of the gospel message. Well, in Psalm 69, there is this, this cry of salvation. And it is not a stretch to say that this psalm, Psalm 69, has often been associated with Jesus. Jesus quotes it. It's also used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, there's even a verse in this psalm that is referenced in Acts describing Judas who betrayed Jesus. So this is a picture of atonement. This is a picture of Jesus humbling himself and coming into your place and mine, dealing with the flood that's coming and looking to the salvation of God. You can read along with me if you want. You can sit, close your eyes, take it in, but I'm going to read this and pray. These are excerpts of some different verses throughout Psalm 69. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. O God, you know my follies. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. But as for me... My prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit to close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord. For your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Let's pray. God, there's a lot that I don't know that I can't answer for and that I can't explain. But God, I know, I know that I need your grace. I've experienced recently in my own life, God, the power, the destructive power of sin and how it hurts and damages me and those around me that I love. And God, I'm sorry. God, I pray for myself and for my friends. God, that we could orient ourselves to the gospel of grace that takes humility, that puts you back on the throne and makes you king. 
that dies to pride that says you've got to answer to me or I've got to figure it out on my own. God, it also dies to low self-esteem that says I'm unworthy of grace. God, you've counted us worthy. Jesus, I thank you for your atoning work of grace that covers, rescues, that sees us through the daily storms of this life. God, in the ultimate judgment and destruction that comes from a life of sin and darkness, God. God, rescue me. Rescue my friends. God, may we live humble lives filled with the power of your grace. And may we be people so impacted by your grace in our lives, God, that we can't wait to share it. God, that we share it by preaching the, the truth of your gospel message. We share it by seeing our fellow man in need and we reach out to help and to meet those needs. God, where we get off the sidelines of consumerism, where we just equate grace to a transaction that happened and now I'm good. Or God, we're too worried about maybe offending people with the truth of the gospel that we water it down. But God, that we would be so real about the devastating power of sin in our own lives and our own need for your grace that you freely give, that it would be a delight and a joy to share it with the world around us in need. God, we do not deserve and cannot earn your grace, but we thank you that you freely give it. God, I humble myself one more time today and say, God, I need you. God, thank you for a life of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.